Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Denver, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Southern Baptist Convention leaders met this week in Nashville and announced some significant decisions. We'll have some details. Plus, a joint report from some big ministries details how persecution against Christians in Iran continues to worsen. We'll take a look at that report. And finally, our quarterly list of books worth noting. We begin today with news that the SBC is starting a new nonprofit. Leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention's Abuse Reform Task Force announced on Monday uh, that they would launch a new independent nonprofit to host a database of abuse pastors called Ministry Check. But they still need the money to do it. So why the new nonprofit? John Wester, a North Carolina pastor who chairs the SBC's Abuse Reform Implementation Task Force, said that the job of abuse reform was too big for a task force of volunteers to accomplish on its own. That led to the plan to launch a new organization, which would be independent from the SBC's current structure. Wester said that Ministry Check's website will include the names of Southern Baptists convicted of abuse and those who had civil judgments against them. The task force has run into legal and financial delays in getting those names published, though. Uh, Wester reiterated that roadblock once again in his report. So this commission will also create a, a expanded ministry toolkit designed to help churches prevent abuse and to deal with cases of abuse when they happen. That toolkit will give a step-by-step plan for churches to address abuse, and they plan to have a video-based training materials for churches available by the time the SBC uh, meets in their annual meeting. Now, Warren, you mentioned earlier that they still need money to run this new nonprofit. Do they have any plans in place to get those finances? Well, Wester's report did not include any plan to permanently fund the new nonprofit. Currently, the task force's work is being paid for by funds set aside by the SBC's two missions boards. He did say that Brent Leatherwood, who's the president of the SBC's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, plans to ask the ERLC trustees to contribute to the new group. He also said that SBC President Bart Barber and leaders of the SBC's national entities have been supportive and that he is confident that a plan would be in place by the SBC's annual meeting in June. Well, our next story also involves the SBC and some churches which are no longer a part of it. Trustees of the Southern Baptist Convention voted to cut ties with four churches on Tuesday, two of them for alleged mismanagement of sexual abuse claims. One other had failed to give to the SBC's common fund, while another hired a woman pastor. All four were designated as being out of friendly cooperation with the SBC. Now, can you give us a little rundown of these churches? Yeah, a quick rundown is this. Uh, the trustees of the executive committee voted that Grove Road Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, had showed a lack of intent to cooperate in resolving a concern regarding the pastor's mishandling of allegations of sexual abuse. And there was a church near you in North Carolina. 
West Hendersonville Baptist Church in Hendersonville, North Carolina. You're right about an hour and a half to two hours west of me here. Uh, had broken denominational rules by dealing with abuse, uh, by retaining a pastor who they say was biblically unqualified. And also another one in Kentucky. Emmanuel Baptist Church in Paducah, Kentucky, to be exact. It was deemed not in friendly cooperation for having a woman who serves as the senior minister. The SBC Statement of Faith, known as the Baptist Faith and Message, says that the office of pastor is limited to men. Trustees also decided that the SBC's relationship with New Hope Baptist Church in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is just a suburb of Charlotte, has been discontinued because the church has not given to the SBC causes for five years. A question about faith and practice of New Hope has also been raised, and the church had a lack of intent to cooperate in resolving that question. Well, let's look at one more story from the SBC before we take a break. That story is this. For nearly a century, the SBC's cooperative program, which we mentioned in the last story, it's the fund that fuels missions, evangelism, and seminaries. Uh, It's been a remarkable success, collecting more than $20 billion since 1925. That's nearly a century, of course. But as the cooperative program approaches its 100th anniversary in 2025, the trust has made... uh, that the trust that made that program possible has frayed a bit. Southern Baptists have faced, uh, of course, the sexual abuse crisis uh, that undermined confidence in denominational leaders, and there's also been feuds over politics, race, and the role of women, and that's caused a lot of churches to withhold their giving. So how has giving changed? In the 1980s, by way of comparison, SBC churches gave about 10% of their income to the cooperative program. Today, they give less than 5%, meaning that national ministries like their seminaries and mission boards uh, have to rely more on direct giving that bypasses the denomination. Giving to the cooperative program overall fell by about 2% last year. Are there any other factors at play in this? I think demographics is probably a big factor. The number of Southern Baptists has also declined fairly significantly over the past two decades. For example, in 2006, there were over 16 million Southern Baptists. And today, or I should say 2023, the latest numbers that we have, there are about 13.2 million. So that's a drop of more than 3 million. And that includes nearly a half a million decline just from 22 to 23 alone and about a million and a half since 2018. And of course, fewer members mean fewer givers. The number of churches giving to the cooperative program has also declined in recent decades. In the mid-2000s, about three-quarters of all churches gave to the program. Today, less than 60% give, again, that data from the executive committee of the SBC. Now, Tom Rayner, the founder of ChurchAnswers.com and former CEO of Lifeway uh, Christian Resources, which is the SBC's publishing house, said that denominational loyalty is also at a low. He said this, if you don't trust the leadership, you're not going to trust the funding model. Uh, The SBC's executive committee is meeting, as we've already mentioned, Natasha, this week in Nashville, and uh, it's going to set the cooperative program budget for 2024, which will then be voted on by the total denomination at their annual meeting this summer. Currently, about two-thirds of the cooperative program 
Uh, funds go to the International Baptist Mission Board, IMB, and about 22% goes to the North American Mission Board. About a quarter goes to the seminaries, six seminaries in the SBC. 3% goes to the Executive Committee. Less than 2% goes to the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Warren, let's take a quick break. When we return, Iranian Christians face increased danger in practicing their faith. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, It's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating uh, as an independent investigator, uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break, a worsening persecution against Iranian Christians. A joint annual report from Article 18, CSW, Open Doors, and Middle East Concern focuses on the many victims whose names and faces, for the most part, remain unknown due to fear that publication of their cases might worsen their plight. While it is not common for Iranian Christians to be killed for their faith, the report said that contrary to the claims of the Islamic Republic, there is still no religious freedom in Iran, which is governed by a theocracy. What other things did the report uncover? It found that a notable trend in 2023 was the arrest of Christians that came in waves, with just a handful of arrests reported prior to June, then over 100 within the next three months before later a further rash right during the Christmas season. And any other issues that they highlighted? Well, it's become more apparent that the Iranian authorities specifically target those involved in Bible distribution. That's number one. They also said that many of the Christians arrested in 2023 reported being forced to attend Islamic re-education sessions. And the report also highlighted that the monitoring of Christians and other groups inside Iran appears to be becoming increasingly sophisticated with digital surveillance as well as frequent reports of house churches being infiltrated by spies. 
And the treatment of Christians in Iran can vary depending on a lot of factors, such as their denomination, level of involvement in religious activities, and the prevailing political climate. While the Iranian constitution recognizes Christians as a religious minority and grants them some rights, including the freedom to practice their religion, they still face some challenges and discrimination. Christians in Iran often face restrictions on their religious activities, including limitations on building churches and openly proselytizing. There have been also reports of harassment, arrests, and imprisonment of Christians, particularly those who are perceived as evangelizing or converting Muslims. Now, what happens to Christians who've been released from prison? Even when they're released, state officials make life difficult for these Christians. The report highlights seven different types of post-prison pressure, including continued monitoring and harassment, denial of employment, education, and new charges or reopened cases. The report added many simply flee, only to find a new set of challenges awaiting them as refugees. Let's move on to our next story. What are the details? The leaders of the Christian Family Church in Awatana, Minnesota, allegedly knew that Laverne Zacharias, one of their pastors and a teacher and principal at El Shaddai Christian School, had been abusing middle school girls in the school basement and his church office, that according to recent court documents. But when one of the girls who had was abused by Zacharias for years complained to church leaders, the leaders being Tim and Sherry Peterson, they said that they would hold Zacharias accountable, but they also told her not to contact the police because that would just hurt the family of the abuser. Then, of course, Zacharias continued in his pastoral position at the church. So what happened next? The victim then did go to police in 2022, and shortly thereafter, Zacharias resigned from his position as campus pastor, citing poor choices in a farewell sermon that the Petersons asked congregants not to record, though some members recorded it anyway. And now Zacharias, who is 46 years of age, has been charged with six felony sex crimes that allegedly took place from 2006 to 2009, including abusing his position of authority sexual touch, and penetration. And additional victims have also come forward. Yeah, they have uh, come forward. The victim who went to the police in 2022 is identified as victim one in the criminal complaint, says that Zacharias started abusing her on church and school premises in 2006 when she was just 14 years old up until she graduated in 2009. He allegedly said things to her such as, I think you're beautiful, you're like my kryptonite, and I can't control myself around you. More than a decade later in 2019 and 2021, he contacted her again, asking for nude photos and making explicit sexual requests. Now, how has the community responded to this? Some church members came forward saying the Petersons tried to restore Zacharias. They also held a reconciliation meeting between Zacharias and the parents of one of the victims. Family Christian Church, though, has declined to comment and has not posted any information about Zacharias on their website. Zacharias's attorney unsuccessfully requested that the case be dismissed, and the hearing is now scheduled for May 30th. Well, our next story is unfortunately also a heavy one. 
Yeah, sting operation targeting men involved in online prostitution has netted a pastor, William Martel Canarney. Canarney, who was arrested this week, he was in charge with first-degree prostitution, was the senior pastor at Blue Ridge View Baptist Church in Pickens, South Carolina. He previously served at Liberty First Baptist Church in Liberty, South Carolina. Neither church would answer questions, and neither has posted any information about his arrest. Now, how did the police uncover this? The Seneca, South Carolina Police Department started an investigation last summer after community members reported suspicious activities at a local residence. Using surveillance, search warrants, and digital records, police gathered evidence about people selling sex services and homed in on the location where sex workers were offered to paying customers. In addition to uh, Kenarney, officials also arrested four other men uh, four suspects are still being solved. Blue Ridge View Baptist Church was founded, by the way, in 1916, and in 2008 was recognized by the Southern Baptist Convention of South Carolina for leading the state in baptisms. Well, Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hey everybody, Warren Smith here, interrupting the podcast just to let you know that we have a new donor premium for the month of February. Handling Allegations in a Ministry is a book written by my friend Teresa Sidebotham. Uh, It's a really helpful book if you are in leadership in either a ministry or a church, or maybe you want to give to somebody that you know in leadership. It's uh, uh, Teresa has been handling and investigating uh, as an independent investigator, uh, abuse and other kinds of issues within a church for many, many years. She's one of the nation's experts on this topic. I've had her on the Ministry Watch podcast uh, in the past, and uh, I just really think this book is a great resource, and we'd like to make it available to you. So for a gift of any size uh, during the month of February, we'll send you this book. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Now, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? Well, up first this week, Natasha, something a little bit different. I just want to highlight that we started a new feature here at Ministry Watch. It's called On This Date at Ministry Watch. And what we do is we look back at the stories that we were covering on this week, a year ago, two years ago, sometimes as far back as 10 or 15 years ago. We do this for two reasons. One is that sometimes those stories need an update. For example, if someone was arrested for a crime, what happened? Were they convicted? Were they exonerated? Either way, we think that if we're going to report on it, we should um, originally, then we should report on the outcome. But also, it's an opportunity for uh, us to uh, kind of have some 
discipline about the way we do stories as well. When we look back on a story, we can see maybe what we did right, what we did wrong, and it's kind of a, an exercise in self-improvement. And i got to admit, too, I'm also kind of a sucker for these kinds of stories. I like to look back at these on this date in church history, on this date in baseball history, and so I thought it might be fun for a lot of our readers to look back on this day to ministry watch. And it turns out this is, even though we've only been doing this for about six weeks, Kim Roberts is uh, the writer for this particular column. It's been really successful. We've gotten thousands of page views each week. And while we're at it, let me just mention that one year ago this week, um, Ministry Watch reported that Saddleback Church uh, was ousted from the Southern Baptist Convention for naming a woman to its pastoral team. Uh, Delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting affirmed the decision in June. Two years ago, uh, we reported about a newly released report related to Robbie Zacharias International Ministries, which found that the leaders in the ministry were blinded to the their loyal by their loyalty to Robbie Zacharias and overlooked his misconduct. And going back ten years, Ministry Watch reported that Bill Gothard would go on administrative leave from that ministry, from uh, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which is the ministry he founded. He later resigned amid allegations of sexual abuse. Now, Warren, you also published your quarterly list of books worth noting. What were some of the highlights there? Yeah, a a few highlights. First of all, again, let me just back up a little bit and say uh, that the reason I'm doing this is because I read a lot of books, both for the podcast, but also because I just think it's important for um, for you know those of us here at Ministry Watch to kind of keep up with what's going on in evangelicalism. So once a quarter, I devote my editor's notebook column to the books that I've read within the past quarter that I think are noteworthy. They're not all great books. They're not all books that I necessarily uh, would recommend wholeheartedly, but I think they're books worth uh, paying attention to. The first one is is the book by Leah Payne, who is an academic who wrote a book called God Gave Rock and Roll to You. It's a fascinating and sometimes frustrating look at the contemporary Christian music industry. Also want to mention David Bonson's new book called Full Time Work and the Meaning of Life. The author of this book is a kind of a force of nature. He runs a wildly successful investment firm. He contributes regularly to World Magazine and other publications. And I also see him on CNBC, the business news channel, pretty frequently. Full-time, this book uh, that I'm talking about today makes a spirited and biblical case for work as a gift from God. And by the way, I saw David Bonson this week at the National Religious Broadcasters Conference, and he reported to me that He's a regular reader of Ministry Watch and saw our review of his book and was grateful for it. We didn't write it to make him grateful, but we did write it to bring your attention to what is a really excellent book. A couple more real quickly before we sign off here, uh, Natasha. Exiles, The Church in the Shadow of Empire by Preston Sprinkle uh, is a fascinating book. It will challenge, uh, I think, readers who think America, on the one hand, is a city on the hill— and on the other hand, think it is a modern-day Babylon, or maybe even in some cases both. I really recommend Exiles. It's a deeply biblical account of what the Bible has to say about government. And um, two more real quickly. Fierce Ambition, the life and legend of war correspondent Maggie Higgins. A lot of people don't know Maggie Higgins today, but uh, she was a famous war correspondent in both World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, who died young. Um, she started out 
kind of as a wild woman, I guess you could say, but ended up converting to Catholicism and uh, became really more sort of a conservative uh, voice uh, in Washington, D.C. late in her life. And finally, someone I featured on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Brant Hansen. His new book is Life is Hard, God is Good, Let's Dance, uh, one of my favorite books of the last few months. Now, who's in our ministry spotlight this week? This week, we spotlighted Hal Lindsay uh, website ministries. Uh, we fought, cited it for a uh, couple of reasons. One, its donor confidence score fell from 55 to 51, and that puts it in the give with caution category. Uh, in fact, I would probably rate it a little bit lower than that, but it is financially a sound ministry, so it got some points that maybe it wouldn't have otherwise deserved. It, though, rates 28 out of 28 in resource allocations, and it has $25 million in assets, but it only spends about $3 million a year. So it really doesn't need our money, and uh, furthermore, it pays uh, Joe Lynn Lindsay $750,000 a year. Hal Lindsay, who is now in his 90s, still gets $470,000 from the ministry. So uh, we are asking people to exercise caution if they think about giving to Hal Lindsay's ministry. And who did Christina highlight in her roundup of ministries making a difference? Denton Freedom Church in Denton, Texas is celebrating 20 years of ministry helping recovering addicts find freedom through a residential recovery and discipleship program. The Anglican Church of Uganda in 2016 launched a food security and environmental conservation project for Ugandans that have been ravaged by a 30-year war. The church has been providing specialized training and conservation farming techniques as well as sustainable methods to enrich the soil. Also want to mention Builders International, which is part of the Assemblies of God. They raised a half a million dollars last spring uh, to repair Ukrainian church buildings. And the Jesus Film Harvest Partners has been part of more than 19 million decisions for Christ, according to its most recent monthly reports uh, submitted by over 1,100 teams in 67 countries. Uh, the Jesus Film Harvest Partners Project was launched in 1997 and has resulted in more than 130,000 church plants around the world. And Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Yeah, I mentioned already that I was at the National Religious Broadcasters meeting in Nashville this week and got to see a lot of our uh, friends and supporters, but also to do a lot of interviews that will be airing on the podcast in the weeks ahead. I hope you'll be on the listen for that. Also, uh, I wanted to mention that I'll be in Texas, not next week, but the following week. And uh, if you live in the Dallas area, keep an eye out on your inbox for invitations to um, a coffee I normally do lunches, but I'm actually going to do a coffee um, for um, folks, readers and donors in the Dallas area. I've already got a couple of people signed up for that. So um, looking forward to a nice visit in Colleyville, Texas, which is just right outside of Dallas, near the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. And finally, Teresa Sidebotham's book, Handling Allegations in a Ministry, is our donor premium for the month of February, a, do a gift of any size to Ministry Watch will result in you getting a copy of that book as our thank you. It's a really great book. I hope some of you might have heard my interview with Teresa on the podcast earlier this week. 
And uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback on that book. So you've got a week left to get a copy of that book by making a donation to Ministry Watch. Just go to the ministrywatch.com website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Steve Raby, Clement Lisi, Bob Smetania, Kim Roberts, Brittany Smith, Christina Darnell, and you, Warren. Special thanks to The Religion Unplugged for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.